Do you ever struggle with your fuzzy brain? I do. Welcome to the Uncluttered Office Podcast. Here I share what I've discovered from my challenges with ADHD and chemo brain. I'm your host, Katherine Avery. I'm a former Wall Streeter, now certified productive environment specialist and ADHD productivity coach with well over 20 years of experience in business, office design, and productivity. I'm a badass cancer survivor and thriver, wife, mom of a teen and a cat, and a lifelong geek. I'm old enough now to be proud of it. I've learned that whether we lose our keys, misplace our files, or constantly forget our appointments, we can design a work and home life that is simpler, easier, and fits who we are with our unique brains. I believe that to be truly productive, we need to learn how to be intentionally unproductive. A strange twist for a productivity coach. But hey, I love to ski, sail, and surf. Listen in and learn how to streamline your space and systems so you can be more focused, organized, and have more time to be intentionally unproductive. Hi, everyone. Katherine Avery of ProductivityByDesign.com and your host of the Uncluttered Office podcast. I'm here with Kirsten I should have asked how to say your last name. Is it Rao or Rao? Rao, like, wow. Rao, like, wow. Okay, I'll never forget it again. Kristen Rao taught for 34 years with a focus on gifted and twice exceptional students. Her master's in special ed is from Bank Street, and her undergraduate is from Vassar in studio art. She's now a solopreneur, having launched Cup of Cards, which carries stationery based on her own artwork, which is gorgeous. And she gave me a pad with her beautiful drawings and also is in charge of Curate Your Mate, a dating coaching service to boost the confidence and strategies of midlife women seeking a life partner. She's also a comedy nerd and performs improv with her troupe Fairfield of Dreams. I had no idea you did improv. How cool is that? So welcome, Kristen Wow. I love it. Oh, dear. You're going to call me that from now on. It's great to be here. I to annoy you. (laughs) It's super great to be here. I am just so grateful to be on your podcast. I think you're serving a population that needs as much affirmation and strategies and kindness as possible. Couldn't agree more. And even though we're recording this way in advance, this is coming out on Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving is a day to be eating a lot, (laughs) but it's also a day to be grateful. And I really love bringing on someone who's a very special friend on the Thanksgiving episode, because I know we're going to talk about things that aren't just how to file your paperwork. (laughs) Although someone I had on for Thanksgiving actually did talk about filing your paperwork, but we also talked about a gratitude practice. So today is going to be a little different because Kirsten comes from a background of dealing with the twice exceptional. I am 2E. I joke that I'm 4E. Uh, I And let's say what 2E is. So twice exceptional is, is you have two different learning things. Does that sound sort of when you boil it down? So for mine, mine are that I'm gifted and have ADHD. It also so happens that in the past, I've dealt with anxiety and depression, which is why I joke that I'm 4E. And Kristen, you are 17E? Just kidding. Oh, I love it. I'll take it. I am abundantly E. (laughs) So yes, in my world of gifted education, 
2E means that a child is demonstrating intellectual capacity, usually two deviations beyond the mean. And in less technical terms, it means that you're dealing with a kid who at age nine can maybe do reading on a 14-year-old level. Maybe they've got math at a 16-year-old level, but they're nine. And maybe their emotions might be at an age five level. This is the kind of kid that needs the most flexibility. They need kindness and humor, and they need lots of openness to explore their intellectual passions. Right. And it's interesting to say that because, of course, I'm 55, almost 56. And that just wasn't the knowledge base when I was growing up around the special needs kids have uh, around both giftedness and ADHD and any of them, really, quite frankly, autism spectrum disorder. None of it was really ever well dealt with. So there was suck it up buttercup. Or if you were a girl who was inattentive type, you were daydreaming and you weren't a problem and you were probably skating by on your intellect because, you know, you were gifted. So, you know, you were probably a solid B plus student. But if anyone had seen, oh, your ADHD is getting in the way, we can help you with that, would be an A student. So these students fall through the cracks and I'm one of them. I was very blessed. My parents saw that I was super smart and they moved me from a public school where I was falling through the cracks into a private school where at least I was with kids who were a lot more like me. And this will tie well into compassion because the kids who I was dealing with up through fifth grade were not terribly compassionate, that I didn't make sense to them. They thought I was a snob because I always had my nose in a book. I was always reading. And I am that kid who read at, I think I was reading in kindergarten, the teacher didn't know what to do with me and another girl named Darcy Davis. No idea where Darcy is now, but I'll always remember this. And we had blown through all of the reading for kindergarten by November. And so there was just nothing out there. So what she was giving us to read was a reader's digest, which is written, I don't know if you know this, at a fourth grade level so that as many people as possible can get the educated about the world. So that's the whole purpose of reader's digest, which I learned as an adult. So it's written to this fourth grade level. Well, if you're a kindergartner and you're reading fourth grade level, that kind of tells you already what's going on there, right? But again, this is a lot of years ago when no one thought about that. It just wasn't on the radar screen for people. So, you know, when I went to a private school, the kids were much more like me. There were a lot of really, really small, smart kids. And if I was the kid reading a book in the corner, it didn't seem weird because half the other kids were doing it. <laughs> so, yeah. It was kind of a different situation. And then I became much more social and more um, comfortable. I am back a year, sort of, because I have a December birthday. And I think socially, that was a gift to me because I definitely had that really slow burn on the social aspect of things. What do they call that? Late bloomer. I was a late bloomer. I love it. So, and I'm okay with that. I actually think there's some pluses to being a late bloomer. Oh, I've definitely, I consider myself a, a, an ongoing bloomer. Let's, let's level up. I, like that <laughs> I am perpetually blooming. My <laughs> well, you are. And so we should talk about blooming because the theme of your artwork and cup of cards is all around these 
magnificently gorgeous flowers. I especially enjoyed what you just posted, which was you, uh, and I can't remember what it's called when you speed up the video. It's called a time-lapse. Time-lapse. So you did a time-lapse of you drawing your latest bouquet, which I assumed was a Christmas bouquet, like a holiday yes. bouquet, because it had red and it had that one that you said looked like candy canes. Yes. And it had some um, pine cones and pine needles, and it was just stunning and so fun to watch you as you did the time lapse drawing. Because I'm like, when does she ever use the eraser? Does she ever? Because <laughs> I'd be there like, oh, wait, oh, it's not the time lapse. I have to erase. <laughs> it's funny you say that because. Maybe this is something that has come with age for me and lots and lots of drawing experience. It used to be the eraser was my best friend. And I really couldn't even sit down until I had exactly the brand of Stettler eraser from Germany. It's this little white eraser. It's my favorite. And I I only when I had the eraser in place did I feel ready to begin. And now at this point, I just go right in there with an ink pen. I think part of what, yeah, I think part of what allows me to do that is I'm not thinking about me. I am not thinking about my performance. I am not thinking about perfectionism or what the ultimate product is going to be. I'm looking outward at the actual blooms and I'm curious and I let my pen follow my curiosity. It's a real shift in mindset from me, 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 nervous, how I'm going to be judged to what's going on out there in the world? What am I really seeing? Being very present in the moment and your entire ego disappears. Nice. So that kind of goes along with our discussions of productivity and being kind to yourself. There is something very positive about focusing outward. Mm. And I love the word curiosity before we go to kindness, because you know I'm not going to let kindness go. Curiosity is something we've been talking about a lot in my coaching program, that as coaches, we view our clients with curiosity, with just, hey, where are you at today? No judgment, just taking them and holding the space for them wherever they are, and then helping them see how they can be curious about things, how they can experiment with things, how they can get ready for this play. Because some of the things you're trying that are new habits, it can be more fun if you can kind of gamify it and make it about play instead of it being this big drama heavy, oh my gosh, you must be productive. And I'm sort of weird in that I'm a productivity coach who believes that to be truly productive, we need to learn how to be intentionally unproductive. We're all unproductive. Great concept. Right? We're all unproductive. At some point in the day, we've had it. Our brain is shutting down. We're done. We've had too many meetings. We had too much and our brain is done. And now we do something like turn on the TV mindlessly or uh, play Candy Crush. That's a big one for me to calm my brain down. We do something that may not be the best use of our time and we waste time. Instead of saying, I'm going to take a break and I'm going to take a nice walk in nature or I'm going to have a nice dinner with my husband or whatever. And so when we go back to work, we're rejuvenated. We've refilled the well, right? Because we've done something intentional that we really love to do that lights us up. May not be really refilling the well with a game of Candy Crush, you know? That's so interesting. I like how you pointed that out. I agree with you. And I wanted to step back 
a concept or two, you use this concept of holding space Mm -hmm. and being non-judgmental and allowing for curiosity. Those are exactly the qualities in a classroom that a twice exceptional child needs, as well as an adult who is at some kind of crossroads in their life. That gift of holding space, meeting the client where they are, being genuinely curious. Who are you? What makes you tick? How are you doing? Let's follow your thought a little further. I wonder if, and then you offer something they may want to consider or may want to try, a little bit of light humor when things have gotten a little heavy or morose. All of those qualities that make for a really positive classroom experience also makes for a really wonderful coaching experience. And dare I say that those are all great questions to ask when you're on a date. Yes, that's true. About dating, right? You know, when I I stopped making it, I've got to find a husband and made it about, I'm just going to go have some fun and have some dates. Guess what happened? I met my husband, right? So what you've spoken to is a shift in mindset. And I went through that in my 40s. I began my dating process in a pretty anxious, banged up state (laughs) right on the heels of my divorce. And what I didn't realize is that after being with one person for 17 years, and that ends, as much as you were ready for it, you thought, and you're like, this is the right thing. And you know, it's the right thing. But there's something about your being that when you go out, you're trying to fill the vacuum. You're trying to put somebody in that comfortable place that had been filled, maybe imperfectly, maybe not a great match, but at least that space had been filled for 17 years in my case. And I was anxiously trying to fill that void. And one thing I recommend to my clients as they go through the dating process in midlife is to take a break. This speaks to exactly your productively unproductive moment. I took several dating breaks. I would have a series of dates where I was meeting weirder and weirder guys. And I was like, you know what? Pause button. I'm attracting guys that aren't a fit for me, which means I'm putting something out in the world that is miscommunicating my intention. So I would pull back into myself. I do all my favorite things, read, draw, walk, see friends, fill my own inner emotional well. And I would write in my journal, what exactly am I looking for? Who am I? What is my profile saying about me? What is my behavior on a date saying about me? And by bringing that sort of intentional consciousness and reflecting on me, I began getting better and better quality dates. Nice. Yeah. Until you got the primo. Oh, I had the primo if you want the most amazing husband. I'm just the luckiest person in the world. But I had to earn it, girl. I dated, ready for some statistics, in an 18-month period from when my divorce papers were signed to when I finally found an amazing partner. In an 18-month period, I dated 70 men. 
Wow. Seven zero. Now, I was not sitting there as like a trust fund baby. I was a working single mom to a 10-year-old daughter in the suburbs where this is not like the city where you scoot around and you can bump into people and nope. I had to, I treated my dating as a second job because I had a very clear objective. I wanted the most amazing partnership of my life. That's what I was gunning for. And happily, that's what I got. I'm so happy for you. That's amazing. You guys have been together quite a while then. Yeah, we have. We have. I think we met in 2009. Yeah, I think we met in 2009. And then we were still dating other people and stuff at the beginning. But then we kind of realized by getting to know each other better, we're pretty aligned and we're having a really good time. So then we had that exclusivity talk that you have to have. You're like, because you want to put your cards on the table. You... I love something. There's something Brene Brown says, which is clarity is kindness. Mm-hmm. And I, I've used that as my mantra ever since reading that in, I think, Dare to Lead. I think that shows up in her Dare to Lead book. But clarity is kindness. Guess what? You can't be clear with other people if you're not clear with yourself. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I have... Uh... When I turned 30, I decided that this whole goal of getting married and having babies was just hindering my life. And I had a very good career and everything else. So I was like, I'm letting that go and I'm going to have a different goal. And so I made a goal. This is a very funny story. I made a goal that between 30 and 40, I would step foot in all seven continents. And I'll never forget how people were about it. Well, what if you meet someone? What if you get married? What if you have a baby? What if? What if? It's just a goal. It doesn't mean I have to accomplish the goal. It's just a goal. And so when I turned 30, I went to Latin America, to uh, South America, and I went to uh, Bolivia and Peru. And then my next trip was to Europe, and I'd been to Europe, but I went again. And then I, at 33-ish, 32, 33, I don't remember exactly, I went to Asia and traveled all over Asia and came back. And not long after that, uh, maybe not even a year, I met my husband. And I was dating and, you know, whatever. And we met on a bridge outside of his work. And I was just just open to whatever was going to happen. And and when I met him, I just, nothing happened. Like, we kept bumping into each other for two months. And he didn't ask me out. And then finally, he asked me out. And I said, yes. And that was it. And I was 34. And people were like, but what about that goal? And I'm like, well, uh, we'll, we'll see. He'll go with me. I, we'll work it out. So I did hit three continents, right? Asia, South America, and Europe. I'd been to Europe before. And so I still have, you know, Africa and, and Australia. And I don't know if I really care about, you know, the Antarctica or not. But the point is, is it was something to sort of take my mind off. Oh, and then the most important part of this whole story, and then I'll finish up my dating life, was when I turned 30, I wrote down the five things I wanted in a man that were non-negotiable. And I put that in a drawer. And the five things were honesty, similar family values that didn't have to be exact, but they had to be sort of similar. Sense of humor, intelligent, didn't have to be my kind of intelligence, could be something else. And then the last was likes music or is musical. So the is musical was flexible, but the likes music was huge for me. Those were my five. Now, there was nothing on there about how he looked, what kind of job he had, what kind of money he made. 
it was all in that sort of values proposition of what would would we have fun? And right away, we were having fun even going to Home Depot to buy stuff for my new condo. I just bought a condo. This is the irony. I said, this is it. I'm going to be single the rest of my life. I've got my two cats. I've got my condo. My friends will visit. It'll be great. Guess who was helping me take the wallpaper off the master bathroom? My husband, (laughs) when we were dating. Oh my goodness. Well, I'm going to respond to two aspects of your story. Number one, by shifting from anxiously trying to find a partner, sometimes we can be driven by anxiety, which can also be created by societal expectations, family expectations, friend expectations. That is something that is an outside force acting upon us, which triggers our anxiety. So you stepped out of anxiety mode. You just relieved yourself of that expectation and you set a goal for the richness of your own life. Right. That's the real That's goal. The, the seven, the seven continents is not the goal. The goal is you, the richness of your own life. And the second thing I wanted to respond to was you and I both hit a turning point so similar where we stopped. And we wrote down the essential values of what we wanted in a partner, physically writing it down. I did the exact same thing. I did it almost ritualistically. It took me about three days where I really contemplated Ooh. what in, what's going to feel right for my heart, for my mind, for my body. And so I literally wrote down all those inner qualities that I was looking for. And just like you, I put it in a drawer and didn't look at it again. Because what that does is clarifies your intention. From that moment forward, going back to Brene Brown, clarity is kindness. You were putting out the vibe. You were much clearer about what you were going for. And there's something about that that actually reduces the overall anxiety. When you're clear, your anxiety goes down. Yeah. And it made a huge difference because then that's, you know, I, and I also made a goal that if I dated someone once, I would date them twice. Because Ooh, sometimes I did not make that goal. First date. <laughs> sometimes you have a lousy first date. So, you know, if they wanted to go out a second time, I would go. Because I felt like, well, I want to just see if, you know, if we just had a, and I had a really lousy first date with my husband. Oh my God, it was terrible. <laughs> oh, Not that's, him, that's me. me. Oh. I was so embarrassed, but he called me the very next day. So I guess it worked out. <laughs> oh, I love, I love the vulnerability that you just shared. That's very endearing. Very that's, thought it was, he thought it was adorable. Because he said, and, and he said, you know, why'd you call me the next day after I was such a dork? And he laughed. He said, then I knew you liked me. <laughs> oh like, my gosh. I literally just got like sure joyful thing. goosebumps. Right. It was a sure thing. You so, were so dorky. I could tell you liked me. Gosh, that's great. It was very, that, you know, what I love about that is when we are twice exceptional ADHD, when we've got anxiety, depression, any number of things that frankly, most of us are carrying around. Oh, yeah. When we That's have now, that, right? think about oh, it. Oh my gosh. When we have that, I'm going to go back to my buddy, Brene. We armor up. Mm-hmm. We put up armor of all different types. And the beautiful thing is on that first date that you felt like, oh no, I blew it. You actually 
had let your armor down and your future husband saw a glimpse of who you really are, your vulnerable, imperfect, dorky self. And that's where the connection actually happens. Connection doesn't happen between armor unless you're jousting and trying to knock each other off a horse. That's the purpose of armor. <laughs> that's, that's not a date. <laughs> that's a joust. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> that is really like, it's your logo tagline thing. It should be. It should be. Oh my gosh. There's so many ways that things can go wrong on a date. And it's often, we just have to reflect and say, Oh, what, what, what did I do to help that situation tank? I love your policy of ta- making sure you had a second date because what's underneath that is a certain amount of grace. You were offering grace to yourself and grace to the men that took the time to meet you and date you. And when I think about gratitude, because it's Thanksgiving, I do think about the call to extend a little more grace to ourselves and to others. If all of us took some time to do that, not only would we be more productive in our work life, more productive in our personal life, more connected, but I do think that we would soothe national level of anxiety. Again, put down that armor. It's We're not jousting. We're a country. We've got problems to solve together and armor is not going to get us there. Oh, so there you go. I've wrapped it all up with gratitude yeah. and grace. Yeah. And- but we're not done. <laughs> we're not done. <laughs> wait, there's more because we have yet to talk about and, and it's closely interrelated to, to gratitude and grace is compassion. Yes. You know, here's, I'm going to tell you a story of two boys. All right. There was one boy that I knew in high school and he got in trouble all the time. This is back in the seventies, the late seventies, early eighties. And this is down in the South. This little boy was in the principal's room all the time. And the other kids, frankly, would get so annoyed with him. I remember one day having a conversation. I just took a chance and I sat with him at lunchtime and he just, he, his armor was way up because life had been treating him so badly. Uh, He couldn't help his impulsivity. He couldn't help. He would shout things out in class. He would grab things out of people's hands. He was ADHD before it was a diagnosis. You bet. And I remember sitting with him at lunch. Really fast. Were you a kid in this story? I was a kid. This is the 70s and 80s. I was a high school kid. And I just sat with him at lunch. And I was like, what what are you into? Like, what are your interests? And I I learned so much about him. And he kind of softened a little bit. And I thought, gosh, there's a person in there. Everyone shuns him and is mean, but there's a person in there. And it really broke my heart because he just kept getting in trouble. And and now I'm going to fast forward to when I was teaching second grade in Brooklyn. And there was a little boy just like the one I had known in high school. He was out of his seat. He was bouncing around. He was picking up the thing. He was interrupting. He was asking something. He's like, look, there's a bug. Guess what? You've got a booger. Like no social filter, no energy filter. (laughs) All bouncing, bouncing, bouncing. I started my master's program at Bank Street in special education to serve that boy better. Because I remembered the humanity of that kid from high school. It it broke my heart. And I thought, I got it. I have to up my game Mm. 
to make this the best possible experience for this little boy. And throughout my career, I've seen teachers respond in a restrictive, punitive, authoritarian way. But throughout my career as a student and and as a teacher, I've seen teachers lead with heart. Mm -hmm. And I just want to put that out there. Compassion is leading with heart. Compassion is leading with heart. I love it. Yay. I've had two interesting experiences around the word heart. The first was many years ago when I was still designing uh, interiors specifically for offices, interestingly enough. One of my coaches said that I was a heartist, meaning I was an artist with heart, that I was helping people achieve spaces. And then fascinatingly, I was at a retreat um, with a gal named Bryn Bruner, who's actually been on the show. And Bryn led this branding retreat slash personal branding retreat. So it was a combination of business and personal. And what she came up with me was that I was the keeper of the hearth. And, you know, all you have to do with hearth is add an H to come from heart, right? And oh, I love it. So what is a keeper of the hearth? The keeper of the hearth, the hearth is the person who keeps the space warm, right? Welcoming, friendly, whatever words we want to use. And that all ties into kindness and grace and compassion. And, you know, in many ways, you were the keeper of the hearth for those kids that are choice exceptional who bounce off the walls. I mean, so I'm combined type which means I have both the inattentive and the hyperactive. And hyperactivity in girls can often show up as too talkative. And that was me. Once I finally got in a situation where I felt safe to talk, where I was with kids who were like me, I was very talkative. Still am. Still very talkative. I love it. Do you have you happen to remember a teacher that made space for you or an adult or someone who helped you step into who you fully are without the shame, without the punitive aspect? Like, was there someone who did that for you? I think, you know, going away to summer camp helped. Oh. And, you know, there must have been counselors. I honestly, I'm 55 years old. I don't really remember back that far. But there were coaches and things like, you know, I had a good experience with um, once I got to the other school, once I got to private school and then in college, forget about it. I thrived. I loved I went to Smith College, which is very small. Oh, yeah. It's a seven sister with Vassar. Yep. And uh, did you go to Vassar? I did. (laughs) Oh, Vassar is a great school. So I went to Smith and. You know, I had my people and my friends and my things and and it was great, but I evolved so much and I keep changing all the time. So I think it's always a series of mentors. It hasn't just been one. You know, I can't pinpoint that one person who made it all happen for me because there have been many. That's really good. That's really good. And I'm, I'm thinking back to our whole metaphor of being armored versus mm. being vulnerable Oh, and I, I'm wasn't, just, I wasn't anywhere near vulnerable till I was well into my 30s. <laughs> and to be honest with you, given all the mixed messages and pressures that society puts on women, I'm not surprised. We have to armor up just to get through the darn day. 
happy. So that is one of the beautiful things I found at midlife is that's when I finally could set aside the armor and say, this is who I am and I'm not perfect. And this is where I mess up. This is my dorky stuff. And unexpectedly, that's how I connected with more people. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of extraordinary. So I'm loving midlife. I don't know about you, but I mean, I, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, set aside like, you know, the usual complaints about, you know, menopause and, and your body's doing new things. Painful joints. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I mean, like that whole list exists and it's real, but I happily pay that price for the person that I am now. I, oh, I love that. That's so beautifully said. And I love that you said all the things you did about how you came to these realizations of vulnerability. And meanwhile, I'm thinking like, this is who I am and what you see is what you get. And you don't like it, lump, or, lump it or leave it. <laughs> and then you're like so gracious around it. I'm just like, yeah, don't let the door hit you in the bottle on the way out. You know, and actually just a funny story about that. When we were first dating, my husband and I, we were on like what date four or date five or something. I said, listen, I got to tell you something. I really like you. I think we really have a great relationship. And here's the thing. I'm not getting all the way into this thing to find out that you're just like, you know, not in it for the long haul. So if you're not, there's the door. And he's just like, I was like, because by that point I knew I was like, I really like this guy. I really could see this going somewhere. And I just could put myself through it again. I was like, I'm just not. I had made the decision I was going to be single the rest of my life. So I was kind of like, if if I'm going here, then we're going here all. And it didn't mean that he had to marry me. It just meant that we had to get into the relationship and give it our all and see where it took us. And I did not want it to be like, oh, we'd go on 25 dates and then, you know, you're on to the next thing. And he was never like that. He's not. I mean, we're together 21 years. But I think there's something to be said about, you know, his compassion and his grace taking that second date with me when I was kind of like, dark alert. I love it. I, I, I love both ends of that story because what you did was you stood in your truth, which is a risk. It's a vulnerable risk. And sometimes you will find out very quickly, the guy is like, yeah, no, not so much. Happily, yours paid off. He was in it to win it. But there is something courageous about drawing that line in the sand and being clear. Again, clarity is kindness. So you took a risk, and but you also would have cut your losses sooner if you didn't do that thing that those beauty magazines and those dumb quizzes that taught us how to like, how to sneakily win over a man, which is so awful. I mean, that's just dysfunction. It's lacking integrity. Yeah. And that's where all yeah. this it's where the magic happens. The vulnerability is really where the magic happens. And I, I feel like this is like the perfect spot to sort of wrap up because yeah. we've covered grace and gratitude and compassion and integrity and all these incredible things that we can do to help connect with one another, whether that's in personal life, whether that's in business, etc. Didn't spend a lot of time on productivity. Sometimes we don't but I'm okay with that because at the end, we always have a productivity strategy and Kristen is going to share hers. All right. This is, first of all, the number one thing is to actively choose joy. 
So if you find yourself getting stressed, you're overwhelmed, things are piled up and you're just, ah, and then you're, you're having a rotten day. What I do is I pause when I feel that anxious, awful energy rise in me. I pause. I plant myself my butt in my chair. I put my two feet flat on the ground. I pull my shoulders back. I close my eyes and I inhale to the count of four. I hold it for four. I exhale to the count of four and I hold that exhale for four. I do that four or five times. And now I've re-entered my body in this moment rather than the spin, spin, spin in my head. And once I'm there, once I'm in my body, I ask myself, what's one good thing that I'm going to do when I open my eyes? That's it. You're you're still going to have everything piled up. You're still going to have things waiting for you, but you've shifted on the inside and you've taken control with a joy, with a joyful attitude. Responsive instead of reactive. And it's huge. Yes. And that's a very grounding exercise we can do anytime, anywhere. You know, I always joke that you can do a little mini meditation like that right on the subway and nobody's going to know. (laughs) <laughs> nobody's watching you. They're busy with their own stuff. They're busy. I rolling. even do it. I even do it. I like, let's say I'm at a red light and traffic is stressing me out and I'm late for something. And I the buzz, 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 all the bad stuff spinning in my head. I don't close my eyes, but well, I no. do just, I, I just look at the steering wheel and I do the breathing. I get better quickly whenever I take the moment to do that. The power is in the pause. Yes, I like that. That's really good. Thank you for so much for coming on. Kristen, how can people find you? And I know there's going to be more than one way because you have more than one business. I have two businesses. So if you are looking to connect with someone with absolutely beautiful greeting cards that are made by a Connecticut artist and completely produced in Connecticut, locally made woman-owned business, look for www cupacards.com. That's C-U-P-P-A-C-A-R-D-S.com. So send you some stationery. Um, take a look and let me know what you like. The other place to find me, if you are a midlife person with your act together in everything except dating, you're super frustrated by dating. I specialize in holding space and giving you concrete tactics and strategies to move yourself past your fears, past your barriers, and really put yourself out there in a clear and positive way. That is Curate Your Mate. So www.curateyourmate, all one word, dot com. Nice. Love it. Thank you so much again for coming on. We had so much fun. Oh, we had some good laughs. Indeed we did. Thanks. You've been listening to the Uncluttered Office Podcast with Katherine Avery. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and www.productivitybydesign.com. Do you find the holidays completely overwhelming because you're trying to do all the things? For most of us, the perfect holiday is something we only see in a Hallmark movie. But we can have holidays with less stress and more joy. I'm very excited to introduce the Uncluttered Holidays program. It's the gift you give yourself. You can find it at bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y backslash holidays program. 
And yes, there's an S in holidays, bit.ly holidays program. I'll be sure to put it in the show notes. I hope I'll see you there. And if you've liked what you've heard, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your reviews will help even more people find the gifts in their productivity challenges. Thanks for listening and see you next week. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.